who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Welcome to the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast, your new source for horror and dark fantasy fiction in the audio sphere. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid, and it's a brand new year. Happy 2013. May you all make it a good one. Good news, everyone. Our custom ebook store we built for the magazine is now up and running, so if you'd like to purchase an ebook issue, or if you'd like to subscribe, please visit nightmare-magazine.com store. All purchases from the Nightmare Store are provided in both EPUB and Mobi format. And remember, we're also still currently offering subscriptions via our friends at Weightless Books. Visit nightmare-magazine.com slash subscribe to learn more about all of our current and future subscription options. And let's get on with the stories. Our first offering for the January issue, and the first for 2013, is On Murder Island by Matt Williamson. Stories read for you by Stefan Rudnicki. Matt Williamson's stories have appeared in a variety of literary journals, magazines, and books, most recently... Bat City Review, and the anthology, Fakes from W.W. Norton. And so ends this week's intro. So without further ado, let's have a nightmare. On Murder Island by Matt Williamson. Stone Peter's Eve. The north wind's been spraying mainland runoff in our faces for days, but that's nothing new, nothing worth complaining about. Here on Murder Island, we have a little saying. If ever you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes and you'll be murdered. Or as the weatherman likes to say, radar's telling us to brace for more hot, gusty winds, mainland runoff, and murder. The forecast never changes. We don't have a TV station. How the weatherman does his forecast is he stands on a street corner and shouts at passersby. The weatherman is crazy. On wet, windy days like this, the popularest way to do someone is drowning in a puddle. How that way works is you grab the person who you want to do, 
push their face down in a puddle, and hold it there until they die of not being able to breathe. This way works best if the victim is lighter than you and unarmed. If the victim's heavier, what a lot of times will happen when you try drowning in a puddle is the victim will turn right around and drown you in a puddle, which the hunter has become the hunted. My name's Toby. I'm 17 years old, and I've murdered 11 people. 11 plus 6, if you include family. 11 is my whimsical way of saying 486. 11 is me displaying my creativity. My best ever friend is Peter. He's way, way older than me. Also, unlike me who was born here, Peter comes from the mainland. They didn't like my ways, he says. Ways meaning murderousness, they meaning mainland people. For a time, Peter says, the mainland people tried to tame him with detention. You don't tame a lustrous Maine stallion by locking him up in a cell, Peter says, sharing what his life learned. Peter's not a stallion, but I know what he means. What he means is he is stallion-like. Sometimes Peter calls himself Black Beauty. Like, watch your back, Murder Island. Black Beauty's in a killing mood. Peter isn't black or beautiful, but I know what he means. When the mainland people saw how their jail-taming failed to break him of his murdering spirit, they made him come to Murder Island. Blessing in disguise, he says, displaying his positiveness. Peter and me lived together in a big house on the beach. It's the one I used to share with my parents, and occasionally a younger sibling. For a long time I had it all to myself. Now I share it with Peter. The sharing isn't gay. If somebody, some individual, says gay... That's the individual showing his or her jealousy and immaturity. At our house, we have digital cable and PlayStation 4, and a swimming pool that we invented via flooding the basement. One of my top three favorite things to do is go down there at night and turn off all the lights and float in my inner tube with a flashlight and run the beam back and forth along the surface of the water and go into a water trance. The feeling of the air is different down there. And the light is different, and the sound is different, and the stink is different. It sounds fake to say it this way, but it really is another world down there. Peter doesn't like basement pool flashlighting. He says it smells too much like when he was in jail. For me, who never was in jail, being down there is like taking a magic time trip back to when I was a tiny baby, alone in the warm, wet, quiet, dark inside my mother, before I was born and grew up and murdered her with a knife. Still gusting, but whatever. A warm wind won't keep me and my best-ever friend from murdering. It just creates new challenges. Like, if you're going to murder someone with a bow and arrow, remember to angle your shot into the wind. Fuck, says Peter, his arrow blowing wide of the mark. Hey, shouts the weatherman. Another arrow, Toby. Give it to me. Hey, shouts the weatherman. Aim for the tree, I say. You were pointing at the lamppost on the last one, and it went like ten feet wide. Hey! shouts the weatherman. Hey! No! You can't murder me! I'm an island celebrity! I'm the weather cat! Ouch! says Peter. Good shot, I say. It's the first part of dusk now. The sky's still dirty and dripping, still slicking us in runoff. Runoff is the opposite of fresh, my best ever friend says, and I agree. We got a real long dusk this time of year on account of being so close to the equator. 
The equator also is the reason why it's hot so much. Even the night rains warm as blood. Violent-natured road is empty. Where'd everybody go, says Peter. We murdered them all, I quip. Half quip, half say for real. The carrion birds are out in force. Four of them, four big ones, have been following me and Peter around for the last half hour, like, let's keep an eye on this pair. Shoo, carrion birds, I shout. You git! Peter playfully flings his ball at the largest of the birds. The bird swerves for it and just misses plucking it out of the air. You almost lost your ball, I say. No worries, Peter says. I just take yours. Try it, I say, theatrically patting my damp front pocket where a piano wire bulges in a coil. Don't be touching my ball. If a murdered corpse were a box of Cracker Jacks, balls would be the bottom of the box prize. They're clear and brown, the color of sap, of beer bottles, and give a real high bounce on dry asphalt. To get a ball of your own, you will need one murdered corpse, one eye knife or equivalent, the permission of a grown-up, just kidding about the permission. The corpse and knife, though, you will need. Begin your activity by cutting an eye out of the murdered corpse. It doesn't matter which. Then, carefully, carefully, slice away the white tissue and special colored tissue and black tissue, snipping veins out as you go until you've peeled the eye down to its bouncy brown core. That core is your ball. If we had a third, we could do defilement, Peter says. We should have saved the weatherman, I say. Fake sad, but also not fake sad. For later. Get lost, shouts Peter, flinging his ball again. We could do wilderness adventure, I say. Wilderness adventure is when me and Peter go off into the wilderness and explore it, and if we find any people, we murder them. Most times you won't get anyone. But every now and then you'll get somebody good. Last summer in the wilderness, Peter and me got this guy who came to the island by jumping out of his plane in a parachute after his plane broke. One important thing about this story is I had a sledgehammer hidden in my secret jeans compartment. Thank God you all found me, the parachutist said. Where is this place? Where did I land? Murder Island, I said. I unpopped the compartment and bared my weapon. Uh-oh, he said. I did him low on his body. Gah, he said. I redid him near the same spot. Gah, he said. He fell to his knees in a way where for a second it looked like he was praying. Then he thumped face first into the dirt. I think you got him, Peter said. Yep, I said, trying not to show that I was winded. Trying not to seem murder gay. That was a good one, Peter said. Yep, I said. Peter bends now to pick up his ball, lodged where it landed in the exposed hollow chest cavity of a murdered corpse. We did wilderness yesterday, he gripes. There's nobody out there. It's boringer than jail. Shut up a second, I say. Oh, gross. What? I got bird dew on my ball. Should I ask how that happened? From bouncing it in a dew-spattered area. Toby, listen up. I'm listening. Shit, Pete. My ball is ruined. Tobe, listen. We gotta find someone to kill. Black Beauty's getting restless. I couldn't say exactly how old Peter is. He won't tell except to say my mental age is frozen boy. But if I had to guesstimate, I'd say he's maybe 50 or 60 or possibly 75. 
or maybe older. It's difficult to guesstimate. Peter's body old, but mind young. But body old for sure. Up here's a festive little boy, Peter will say, tapping his skull. A lot of folks, when they found out there was that kind of boy hiding inside this old murdering man, they tried to strangle the boy out of the man. But one thing about the little boy is, he bites. The man'll kill you one way, the boy another. And even if the boy don't kill you, you won't forget the day you met him. You won't forget how big a bite he took. This stallion bites, Peter will say, turning the child into a horse. He's a special little boy, he'll then say, turning the horse back into a child. I'm festive and special and lustrous maned, he'll then say, turning the child and horse into himself and describing himself in horse words. So there's a boy inside his head. On the outside, though, he's an old, old man. That's not to say he's weak. Oh, no. He's got prison-strong arms from when he lifted barbells in his cage. His skin is thick and rough and red from oversunning. His teeth end in sharp points like a shark's or some other pointy-toothed animals, a spaniel's or a liger's. Peter's sharpened them himself with an eye knife. You think that doesn't hurt, he'll say, filing down your teeth like that? No, I'll say, responding to his question. I believe it hurts. Don't think it doesn't, Peter will say. I won't, I'll say. Good, he'll say. Stuff like that. Peter talks husky. One thing the pointy teeth make it easier for Peter to do is chew through tough meats. When me and Peter prepare a natural jerky and then have competitive eating, his advantage really shows. Also, sharp teeth gives him a bonus weapon, a mouth weapon. Take a man's gun, Peter says. What does he have left? His knife. Take that away from him. What does he have? Grenades and throwing stars. Take those away. He's got a hammer and probably another knife. But if you take everything away, he'd better have damn sharp teeth. Still, I wouldn't want to have my own teeth all jaggedy like that. I like looking at them how they are. Sometimes in the upstairs toilet mirror, I'll smile at myself in a way where all my teeth are showing, and I'll say things to myself like, Who's that handsome devil? And, Looking good, handsome. That wouldn't be as much fun to do with pointy teeth. One way I'm lucky is I was born with a fancy smile. Peter and me are off in the violentness woods now, doing wilderness adventure. This is the Peter Pan role-play module of our activity. Update, it's the middle part of dusk. The carrion birds have given up. You be Tinkerbell, I say. I'll be Pan. You can't do role-play with just Tink and Pan, says Peter. Anyway, I'm Peter. I'm always Peter. You always being Peter sucks big balls, I say. Be Tink. I'll be Hook. We'll do Tinkerbell capture. Tinkerbell capture's boringer than jail, says Peter, not fake, sadly. I'm thirsty, he says. When Peter says thirsty, he means for blood. You be Tink, I say. I'll be Hook. Hey, says Peter, pointing up at the sky. Hey, look. Looking for your friend Peter Pan, I say. That's me being Hook. Ha! Your precious Peter can't save you now. No, for real, look. I see now what's got his attention. It's a tiny parachutist floating away from a broken plane a mile or two offshore. Another one, I say. But Peter isn't listening. 
Ride, beauty, Peter whispers. Ride. We're down in the bone shelter, Peter doing his thing with the parachutist's murdered corpse. I'm half paying attention to digital cable, something with Kanye West and the late Corey Haim and Tony Danza. The other half of me is watching Peter. I have the bloodener handy in case he needs it. It's still the middle part of dusk. Our dusk lasts pretty much forever this time of year because of the equator. If you had to do a slogan for Murder Island, you could go, Murder Island, where a dusk lasts a lifetime. Seeing Peter, like he is right now, hunched over a lifeless body with his defiling toys arrayed around him, my heart puffs up with non-gay love. We're a swell team, I think. My best ever friend and me. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, he says, without turning from the corpse. I don't tell what I'm thinking, which is the non-gay love stuff. Sledding, he says. Let's get this guy up the sledding hill and see how fast he slides. I'm doing parachute. Peter calls first go for corpse. The slide is super muddy from the rain. We get a real fast ride. Every time the chute hits a bump, I go airborne. Whee! I say whenever that happens. At the base of the sledding hill, I struggle to my feet. Peter's up already, grinning, muddy. Fucking A, he says. I get corpse next time, I say. He rides great, Peter says. Fast. It's the last part of dusk, finally. We start our trudging to the top. The rule is you have to drag what you're going to sled. Peter's dragging the corpse, meaning he's going to sled the corpse, even though it's my turn. If you're doing corpse again, I get two goes with corpse, I say. I get the next two goes. I'll be bummed to see this end, says Peter. He's in front of me, his back turned to me, hauling the corpse back up the hill. See what end, I say. All this, you and me, the sledding, the beach house, the murdering. Who says it's going to end, I say. Ah, it's almost done. We're... Uh, he grunts. Hang on. Peter pauses, changes his grip on the corpse, resumes his trudging up the hill. We're running out of people, is all I meant. We're using up the island. What about the parachutists, I say? What about the broken planes? More will come. They always do. No, he says. Sooner or later, those planes will learn not to fly over Murder Island, or else someone will figure out a way to make them fly without breaking all the time. Some scientist, he spits. The rain's just trickling now. The wind's pretty much died, or maybe it's the hill sheltering us. One day it'll just be us out here, and uh, Peter loses his breath, struggling with the corpse weight as the sledding hill steepens. He looks old, is what I think, but don't say. One day, he says, it'll just be us, and then just one of us. Not because I want it that way, mind. You know I have control problems. Yeah, I say, letting go of the parachute, leaving it behind. It's weird, ain't it, to think of the two of us in a showdown-type scenario? Showdown, I say, and I can feel my blood speed speeding. We got to face up to the possibility of that type scenario developing, is all I'm saying. Pretty soon... We'll be the only ones left. We'll have this whole island to... I hold the piano wire tight as I can around his neck. My best ever. He paws at the wire, 
Weak, whole-body slack like I cut all the best cords right at the beginning of the murder. Lucky, I think. But I think it not fake, sadly. Passing violent-natured road on the way home, I wonder, why no weather report? Then I remember, Peter and me, we murdered the weatherman this afternoon. We did dress up with the weatherman in the bone shelter. The weatherman is dead. Stone Peter's Day. I start the day, according to my usual custom, in my rumpus closet with the picture diary. Every morning, according to my custom, I do a thing in it in finger paint. It's like a regular diary, except it's more picture creative. I do myself a little bigger in it every day. Thumb the pages like a flip book and you'll see me growing. I usually do a bunch of corpses in the back part of the picture, the pile size corresponding to my total kills. I used to do a big sun in the corner of the picture, but then the corpse pile got so big I had to shrink it. The first things in the book show me and my parents and the weatherman and corpses. The later things show me and my parents and my sister and the weatherman and corpses. Then me and my parents and the weatherman and corpses. Me and my parents and my brother and the weatherman and corpses. Me and my parents and the weatherman and corpses. Me and the weatherman and corpses. And me and Peter and the weatherman and corpses. For today's entry, I do myself and corpses. I do the sun as big as my head. Then I go to the star drawer and award myself a gold for creativity. In the project book, I start today's entry, which includes my name and age and the activity of the day, replacing Peter. I line the Peter replacement nominees up against the side of the house. The nominees are a rake, an empty thing of biscuit dough, a thing of driftwood, Peter's corpse, a large stone, a medium-ish stone, a small stone, and a wire whisk. I've wrapped a toilet paper sash around each of the nominees. The sash around the rake keeps blowing off. Finally, exasperatedly, I stick the toilet paper to the rake with duct tape. I do the ceremony. They're all winners, I say loudly. But the biggest winner is the mediumish stone. It was an honor just to be nominated, I say in a silly voice, jiggling the rake. When you versus it against real Peter, Stone Peter has advantages and disadvantages. Advantages. Stone Peter is made of hardier material. Stone Peter can more easily be lifted. When hurled, Stone Peter becomes a murder weapon. Disadvantages. Stone Peter cannot talk. Stone Peter cannot move around by itself. Stone Peter cannot murder people except through teamwork. Stone Peter's friendship score as well is lower than real Peter's. Still, Stone Peter can be lifted and hurled, and is made of hard, durable material, and can be used through teamwork as a murder weapon. The only way that you could ever have done a murder by hurling real Peter is if it was something faggy like a flower you were trying to kill. Only a faggot would try to murder a flower. I'm off with Stone Peter in the violentness woods, doing the Tinkerbell capture module of wilderness adventure. I do tink, pan, and hook. Stone Peter does the lost boys and the pirates. Still waiting for your precious Peter, I say. Well, you'll be waiting a long time. My men have, shall we say, dispatched him. I make an angry, sad face. That's me doing Tink. Tinkerbell can't talk except with faces. 
I say. What's so funny, Hook, I say. Peter Pan, I say. Then I jump around for a while, swashbuckling. I make my right arm swashbuckle against my left. Then I make the left arm swashbuckle. Then I have the two arms wrestle each other. Finally, I shape my left hand like a hook and punch it five times hard with my right hand. I make sound effects to go with the punches. Goosh, 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 goosh. You're free, Tinkerbell, I shout. I make a relieved, happy face. That's me being Tink. Then I make a bored, disappointed face. That's me being me. Moving funeral slow, I position Stone Peter on the whacking block. For an executioner's mask, I've got some underwear on my head. I have a real executioner's mask back at the house, hanging on the wall of the rumpus closet, but it's still dirty from the last time, and Stone Peter deserves clean. I raise the sledgehammer over my head and read the verdict aloud. For the crime of being dull as shit, I sentence you to die. I bring the hammer down with a mighty crack. What happens next is like something out of Greek mythology. Instead of killing Stone Peter, the sledgehammer blow has multiplied it, creating two smaller, nearly identical Stone Peters. What are you? I ask, squeezing and shaking one of the miniature Stone Peters. What are you that you have such powers? I try gouging in the eye, pummeling with a bat, poisoning. I try freezing and fire. I try the silent treatment, which sometimes leads to suicide. I cyberbully. Still, Stone Peter lives. Both of its monstrous halves yet live. I load Stone Peter twin into the radio flyer and cart it to the beach. I try drowning in the ocean. I hold both of the Peter halves beneath the surface of the filthy water, pressing all my weight against the halves as if they were resisting. Then I back away and close my eyes and count to ten. The stones are still there, still alive. It's like they're winking at me through the sludge and seawater. Unmurderable, I say dramatically. I sometimes say my thoughts out loud, like someone in a movie. I retrieve Stone Peter's halves, both run off shiny from the ocean, and walk them up the beach. One of them a drop, the other one I hurl at an invisible person whom I created out of make-believe. The person dies. Then I pick up the other Stone Peter half and hurl it at a palm tree. When the rock hits the tree, more magic happens. The half-sized Stone Peter crumbles into a bunch more smaller Stone Peters. Stone Peter is becoming an army of itself. An army? Or a family? I collapse, exhausted on the beach. The whole Stone Peter Brotherhood arrayed around me in the sand. On the far horizon, dump copters are spilling different kinds of stuff into the ocean. The colors of today's stuff are blue and red. The slick from yesterday's dump copter stuff is making rainbows. My mama didn't give birth to no quitters, I say. The line is something borrowed from a movie, I believe, or else a TV show or software adventure. It's true, though. I've never quit a murder, and I'm not about to start right now. Unmurderable. To me, that's just another challenge, because I'm plucky. Murder the unmurderable? This kid's just balls enough to try. Mark my words, I say to the people watching the movie, 
I'll do every kind of murder on this family of rock. And then I think I'll do a hundred more, invent a hundred more stone peter pieces, all the while growing smaller and more numerous until the last of the stone peter fragments has been pounded into dust. And when stone peter's dust has carried wind and rain across the island, I will turn my murdering power against the island itself. We'll dig and burn through dirt and grass and rock to get the secret peter flecks the island harbors. If Peter's dust should flow into the ocean, I will murder the ocean. Thanks to Peter's creepy Greek mythology multiplying trick, the murder of one will become a massacre. In this stone, I think, I found my ideal victim, my forever victim. I crawl around the beach, giving every Peter shard a kiss. There was poison on my lips, I lie. Then I close my eyes and kiss the island itself. Pretending I'm poisoned, I kiss it dead. My mother-father, my lover-victim, my road-runner, my Tweety-bird, my Jerry-Tom. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. Please consider making a stop at our website at nightmare-magazine.com to leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. Meanwhile, if you haven't already subscribed to Nightmare Magazine, please check out our many options at nightmare-magazine.com slash subscribe. There's also other ways you can be notified of new Nightmare Magazine content. You can subscribe to our free monthly newsletter, RSS Feed. You can follow us on Twitter or like our fan page on Facebook. If you visit nightmare-magazine.com and click on this month's editorial, you'll find links to all of our social media pages. Also a reminder that the podcast stories are produced by Audi and Grammy award-winning narrator Stefan Rudnicki's Skyboat Road Company, Inc., in association with Rajan Khanna. Thanks for joining us. That does it for this week's podcast. Cheers from all of us at Nightmare Magazine. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.